Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You're listening to the best of the Roto Experts in the morning. Scott tried to lecture me on the running backs by committee, but then I put forth two actual committees. And, and, and when it comes to Sony Michelle and when it comes to Nick Chubb, Scott, doesn't that tamper your expectations? I mean, I don't care how good Sony Michelle looked in, you know, in the college football playoff. You know what it is in the Patriots' backfield, and Burkhead's still there. They signed Jeremy Hill. You got Gillisley, you know, trying to fight for a roster spot. James White's still there as well. How can you really trust a guy like Sony Michelle, even if he shows to be really strong? You know Belichick's not going to use him as a bell cow. No, he's not. You know, the only the only guy we've ever seen that he's really done that with is Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon, and, yeah. You know, how 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 long is it? How long has it been? You know, since Corey Dillon. I think, I think when you look at this team, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't. Uh, you know, Belichick doesn't care about your fantasy team. He wants right. to keep the defense off of balance with a variety of running backs, and yeah. I think that that's what they want to do in Cleveland as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't care about your fantasy roster. I was a little stunned that they took Chubb or a little disappointed they took Chubb because when they have Carlos Hyde there. Right, they just signed uh, Carlos Hyde. They have Duke But Johnson. you know what, though? Some NFL teams like to do this because it gives the defenses a variety of looks. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're interested in doing. So you're not going to be able to trust the Cle- – we always know we can't trust a Cleveland running back, uh, a New England running back. Now I think it's a thing that we can't trust a Cleveland running back because it could be whoever has the hot hand, you know, that day, that series, etc. All right, fair enough. So, okay, you schooled me on the committee. So now let's go to what I see as a couple of timeshares, okay, Scott? The first one I see potentially is in Washington where Darius Geis is going to have Samaj P. Ryan. I think he's a more talented back um, out there in Washington. You know Chris Thompson is going to be there and is still probably going to be a beast in PPR settings, especially now with check down Alex Smith there in our nation's capital. You got So you got Darius Geis as part of a timeshare in Washington. You also – Intriguing to me is Royce Freeman as part of a timeshare in Denver with Devontae Booker. Out of these two guys, Scott, which of these do you think may wind up starting to dominate, not the committee, but the timeshare? I think both of them are, actually. Really? I mean, Geis, he just has to stay healthy. Geis' issue is is that he hits defenders as hard as they hit him, and that Mm -hmm. can lead to injuries. And that's why I think, you know, he dropped one of the reasons why he dropped not only the off field concerns, but can he stay healthy? Sony Michelle had some of the same concerns. Can he stay healthy with guys? It's about his running style. You know, he gives it as good as he gets it. So they have P Ryan there for depth. I think P Ryan becomes the backup, and guys is just going to flatten people when he's in there. And you really give that team a good chance to play ball control. So I like guys a little bit better if he's going to stay healthy. With Royce Freeman, uh, I would say he he doesn't have a good chance of holding off the holding off Thompson as much as Geis would P Ryan. So I would have to I would have to lean Geis there, but I eventually think that Freeman's going to be the guy. 
All right, fair enough. And the last back I want to talk about real quick before we hit the top of the hour is someone I know you got to be excited about, Scott. As a Seahawk fan, what do you think about Mr. Penny? I hear him, Pete Carroll, up there in Seattle think, saying that they think he has the potential to be a three-down back, not a timeshare, maybe a bell cow up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, which is kind of rare in the NFL these days. It's true. Uh, so you still might see a little bit of Chris Carson. Uh, if CJ Procise can ever stay healthy, he'd be the third down back. But that, you know, that doesn't seem to happen. This is a guy they've been looking for to replace Marshawn Lynch, a very mm-hmm. physical back. The reason why they took him over Geis and Michelle is because of his durability. A uh, very physical runner who will flatten people. And playing behind that offensive line, you have to create your own running room. And I think he does a good job of it. I think he's a good fit. That said, the line's going to be better this year with Dwayne Brown for a full season and then picking up DJ Fluker. It's still not perfect, but I think it's better than it is than last year. And look, Russell Wilson has carried the offense, and we've seen how spectacular he's been done. I mean, he was their leading yeah. rusher last year. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> carried the offense, but that's not ideally what you want to do. You want to go back to those days when, uh, you know, he had somebody like Lynch. Not saying he's going to become the next Lynch, but that they were so able to effectively use the zone read in that offense and be more creative because they had such a strong running game, and that's what they're trying to get back to. So Rashad Perry is going to be a very good RB2 for fantasy in his rookie year. You kind of uh, schooled me on the difference between a timeshare and a committee. And then just just for clarification, because I would never want to ruffle your feathers, Scott, but in Seattle, um, what are we calling it if you actually are the lead back? You mentioned that it is a kind of rare occurrence. I could think of it in only a few places right now in the NFL, maybe in Pittsburgh, maybe in Dallas, maybe in Arizona as well. But in and those with situations, the Giants, too, with Barkley. Likely, too, think, likely. Yeah. So what are we calling that? If, if three or more is a committee, if two is a timeshare is one just what is it a is it a workhorse is it a bell yeah, cow? there you go what are we calling there you go. what are we calling there's two, there, there's two terms right there and my okay, other, so my I, other I pet peeve is ba- is baseball wise when people say you have a fantasy rotation you don't you have a fantasy you don't have a staff. fantasy you That's don't right. have a fantasy rotation because you don't, right i'm not going to be like you don't all pitch of a sudden a different this guy one is my number day. three right 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 yeah. it's not like yeah. oh it's tuesday you know this is my sunny gray day he's my yeah, sp3 exactly Right. You, you, you don't talk control about, your own rotation. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, don't you think, though, Scott, that they're talking about those almost in terms of like where they slot in in terms of quality, in terms of tier? Like if I have Carrasco, let's say, or let's say I have Kluber, who's going tonight for the Indians. He's my quote unquote, my SP1 just because he's my best starting pitcher, not because I'm sending him out to the hill every fifth day. Yeah, I would worry. Right. About it. Fantasy it, it, rotation definitely is a thing. You're, you're good, Dane. You can keep going with thank that. You. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Sussmania. My, thank my, my, you, friend, Sussmania. my friend Greg Sussman trying to fire it up there. Uh, you know, did, I, he would always tweak me with that fantasy rotation thing. But uh, the reality of it is if you look up the word rotation, it doesn't fit because you're not throwing – saying, okay, I'm starting Corey Kluber Tuesday. I'm starting Carrasco Wednesday. You don't do that. So the teams control that, not the fantasy owner. But I think you're right on talking about with your fantasy staff. Uh, you, you do have a one, a two, a three, et cetera, but you're not rotating them. 
Hey, Jake, I don't know if you've been listening to us so far here on Roto Experts in the Morning, but we were talking about some of these uh, rookie running backs and their situations, whether it be a committee, a timeshare, or the workhorse. And you have a great piece out right now on rotoexperts.com, which really are kind of going into this, right? Some of the fits of some of these rookie running backs, you know, and, and I said that, you know, these Georgia guys, to be quite honest, they drew the short straw, right? Because you got a true committee with three backs in Cleveland. You have Sony Michelle winding up in New England where they just play running back whack-a-mole, and I dare you to be able to pick the right one on a week-by-week basis, right? But then you have some kind of timeshares, a timeshare maybe in Denver, you know, a timeshare potentially in Washington. Um, you write about this in your new article. How do you see some of these backfields breaking out, and where do you think is kind of the best value uh, these running back in terms of path to carries and opportunity. So actually, I don't think there's going to be as many timeshares as people think. Uh, really? Because yeah, well, I think you're going to have people sharing snaps. I mean, that's just what the NFL is at this day. So you get very few running backs who are actually near the 25 to 30 touch per game. And there's very few Le'Veon Bell's of the world, mm-hmm. David Johnson's, where you end up getting the the 300 plus touches at the end of right. the season. So everybody's going to spell some. But I think that if you look at Rashad Penny is my number two, and that's pretty easy in my opinion because he is a true three-down back. My only concern is his pass blocking. But Scott and I have talked about this before, as people forget, and Scott's brought this up before, that they traded for Dwayne Brown. They brought in DJ Fluker. He's a great run blocker. He stinks in pass blocking, but he's a great and run Jake, blocker. The Seahawks, Jake, the Seahawks don't care about pass blocking anyway. Well, that's, that's, that's very true. And the fact <laughs> is, is like, even if you didn't bring in the Fluker and Dwayne, <laughs> trade for Dwayne Brown, Look at the running backs back there before. They've all succeeded, even with one of the most awful offensive lines in the league. They still have succeeded because of that offense. So I like Penny. I think Geis is an exceptional value that fell to the mm-hmm. Redskins. Freeman versus Joes, I just wrote up on the site to the, today on rotoexperts.com. I have both of them being the lead option and RB2s. Uh, Michelle's obviously the one I'm staying away from because he's with the Patriots. I think he, he will have that Deion Lewis role, but I'm not drafting him as my RB2. The interesting one I want to come back to is you said that the one you started off with was Nick Chubb. And I don't think it's going to be a committee to what people expect. I do think Hyde's going to be in the mix. But let's remember last year, and I'm going to draw a comparison. This is the, argu- the counter-argument I've already made. People were saying, oh, Dalvin Cook's not going to be that good. They just spent all that money on Latavius Murray. And everybody's now saying, well, Nick Chubb's not going to do that much. They just spent all that money and to get Carlos Hyde. Well, sometimes you make a move not knowing what could happen in the draft because you have to be prepared. When you have a talent like Chubb fall to you, you go with the talent, just as the Vikings did with Dalvin Cook. Yeah, fair enough. And on some level, what the Jets did as well at the quarterback position. You know, they got themselves Teddy Bridgewater because they didn't know what was going to happen in the draft. Now they got their man Sam Darnold. So maybe Teddy Bridgewater will be fighting for a roster spot. As it relates to the running back position, Jake, you know I'm high on Penny. I uh, hit you up on Twitter yesterday. He was actually yep. someone I thought of that could be my running back too before the draft. I liked him a lot coming out of San Diego State. What I also want to ask you about, Jake, great article on Roto Experts. We talk about the running backs, but what we also talk about is there were a couple of running backs that are still out there on the street, and now that number is down by one as C.J. Anderson signs with the Panthers. I was saying this on Fantasy Freestyle last week. I thought the Panthers and I thought the Colts were two teams that were going to make a move for a veteran running back. I didn't believe in, you know, Cameron Artis Payne to be the, uh, what are we going with, Scott, the bell cow? Tell me what you think about C.J. Anderson and his fit there. Does he just basically take the Jonathan Stewart role? 
You're going to Scott? Scott, that was you. No, no, I'm Jake. Jake, oh. Jake, it's your oh, article, you, Oh, oh your you article. said Scott. You threw me off there. You said Scott. And so, all right, all right, yeah. Okay, it was my article. It's, yes, he will have the Jonathan Stewart role. But at this point of his career, he's got more in the tank. And we saw last year that he was pretty good, not exceptional, but his first 1,000-yard rushing season behind an offensive line that was miserable. You want to talk about offensive line issues. The Broncos started four right tackles last year, two guards at both guard positions. And then they had Garrett Bowles trying to learn the NFL and taking his lumps as a rookie left tackle. So they traded for Veldhair. They obviously think that's enough because they didn't even draft offensive linemen until the sixth round. So if you look at that situation there and the transition for C.J. Anderson, I think that he did pretty well given the concerns that he had with the Broncos last season. You put him in the Jonathan Stewart role, I think he does slightly better than that, about a 5 to 10% boost. The problem is he gets jumped. Like So last year he was, it was RB17 and non-PPR getting those 1,000 yards. I don't think he's getting that. Jonathan Stewart was RB32. I don't think he quite finishes that high because I have him with more numbers, but he gets jumped by these rookies and people coming back healthy. So he's RB40. He's fringe RB3. The frustrating thing is going to be the weeks that he doesn't score. Is he getting 30 yards and not helping you, or is he getting a 70, 80-yard game that does kind of help, at least with some points? I think that's going to be what's frustrating is trying to figure out which games those are. Fair enough. Hey, Jake, you know what it is. I just had to – I threw out Scott's name because Scott is schooling me here on committees and timeshares and bell Oh, he brought that up already? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing is he it's wanted the to first talk to show, me about you know, committees. We have he wanted to, to talk to me about committees. Here. Exactly. And he was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's not a true committee. Then I asked him about New England, Sony Michelle. I asked him about Cleveland, Nick Chubb. And you know what he says? He goes, oh, well, those are committees. So, you know, I just he, wanted to make sure. He came out of the game the doing it correctly, Jake. Yeah, you know, that's Scott's what we try to do. Scott's a stickler for the committee versus timeshare, and he's right. Listen, yeah. and I am learning, like I said, here on our new Roto Experts in the morning, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Here in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, you're going to have Dane Martinez, you're going to have Scott Angle, and you're going to have Jake Seely, and I'm going to have a lot of catching up to do to stand with these two titans in the industry. Scott, you know, I feel like every year, not at the running back position, but at the wide receiver position and at the tight end position. There's all these hot rookies that get all sorts of buzz, right? And then you look up at their stats uh, after week 15, and they've got a grand total of 37 catches for 323 yards. You know what I mean? Um, my, my thesis is this. I generally, as a rule of thumb, I stay away from rookie wide receivers. As a rule of thumb, I stay away from rookie tight ends. I mean, tight ends have to learn a whole new blocking scheme and a route tree. I think running back is really the position where you can maybe trust a rookie. I mean, last year, everyone loved Corey Davis, and he didn't really do squat for your actual fantasy team if you were relying on him. Scott, do you agree that when it comes to the rookies coming into the NFL, that running back is really the position you may take a shot when it comes to fantasy? You're very on point, and this hasn't changed a hell of a lot over years, although we've had some some very good wide receiver rookie classes, and the articles talk, you're talking about uh, rotoexperts.com. You click on the NFL tab. They're right in the top nav, and we always they already have a bunch of articles. Pride Us launching the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package in June. Our Brandon Murchison, award-winning writer for the FSWA, rookies versus veterans in 2018 fantasy football position battles and outlooks, and how these rookie draft picks have basically 
uh, how they possibly can affect the veterans. And, you know, you look at some of the wide receivers who come in, you're totally right about the tight ends. It's very mm-hmm. rare, you know, that you see that, uh, you know, like with the Giants last year, uh, you know, they had a rookie tight end make an impact. And it really wasn't uh, – that's something rare to see what you saw with the Giants last year. You look at right. the wide receiver class and – Calvin Ridley is very, very exciting because he's really a good complement to Julio Jones in terms of being that downfield speed guy who can run a mm-hmm. post and a fly pattern and a curl. I think it depends on what situation the guy is in. I think, I think with the Titans last year, Corey Davis got hurt, but also I think they were expecting maybe too much from him too soon. When you look at a guy like Calvin Ridley, he fits a niche there, so maybe right. he can he can contribute more right away because they're not expecting him to be the number one guy coming right out of the gate. Yeah, I hear you on that, Scott. The one pushback I'd have as it relates to Calvin Ridley, the stud out of Alabama, and a lot of people think he's set up, you know, has Julio Jones with him, former Crimson Tide, you know, kind of a alumni as well, has Sarkeesian there as the offensive coordinator who was there in Alabama. My problem with Ridley's role is this. I think Ridley is actually going to be a much better player for the Atlanta Falcons than he would be for your fantasy team, right? He has a role. He's going to take that Tyler Gabriel role, maybe stretch the defense, a little bit. We know about his straight line speed, but there are so many options in Atlanta. You mentioned Julio Jones. You know my guy, Muhammad. It's a new day. You gotta love Freeman. You gotta love Coleman. With a team that has so many options like that, I call them a fantasy herd. Do you really think Ridley is going to return wide receiver three numbers for your fantasy team this year? I think it's possible. I mean, if you look at Sanu last year, he might be better NFL than he is wide re- fantasy wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You're talking, you know, 700 yards and five touchdowns last year. Uh, you know, the guy didn't have a 100-yard game. In fact, he didn't even crack 90 uh, all year. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's a better NFL number three wide receiver. It's just a matter of time before Ridley slots in as the number two there. And he gives different dimensions to the offense than Jones does. He's playing with a veteran quarterback. And I think all the compliments around him, I think that really helps his situation. But I think you make a good point. What can we expect in the terms of consistency? I think Calvin Ridley, one week, might be four catches for 125 Mm -hmm. yards and two touchdowns. And then the next week could be two for 17. So I think consistency is going to be some issues. But when you look at things schematically and when you look at teams that he might face, that have some trouble in the secondary or that have cornerbacks that have trouble with speed-wide receivers, those are weeks when you can use him. So he's definitely not a must-start, but he's right on that wide receiver three cusp. I think you're going to see some big games with some inconsistency. Yeah, so maybe he's a good fit for uh, some best ball formats, huh, Scott? Best ball formats, but also as your wide receiver four flex type. When you see a matchup out there and you see schematically that, okay, you know, this is a team that gives up the deep ball a lot that they're facing, that, you know, he's the right start for that week. Okay, one wide receiver that I actually think could be in line for some targets, and uh, our guy Brandon Murchison agrees, is uh, Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is going to Arizona. I think that's an interesting spot for him, you know, because they lost they lost Brown in the offseason. You got Fitzgerald, but Fitzgerald at this stage of his career is not going to, you know, break away from the defenders. He's going to be that possession guy. They got the second-year tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones as well. But I think Kirk 
could be an interesting target uh, for you late in fantasy football drafts because he's a player, you know, who does something that they don't really have on that roster right now. He's a guy that can uh, play in space, maybe be a little bit of a weapon in that way. Do you think Christian Kirk, uh, you know, could be an interesting sleeper later on in drafts? Uh, I think the opportunity will be there. Uh, they didn't get anything from Chad Williams last year. They brought in Bryce Butler. It'd be interesting to see how he fits in with them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they still have J.J. Nelson there. It doesn't seem like they've been able to identify a number two wide receiver across from Fitzgerald for a while. Uh, can Kirk be the guy? I think I think it's a little crowded there right now. And then you have quarterback issues. True. You got Sam Bradford. You know he's going to get hurt. Well, you Josh have Sam Bradford Ro- for about a week and a half. Yeah, and then Josh Rosen's probably the most pro-ready of all the quarterbacks in that class. But still, you know, the, the inexperience, et cetera, the crowded sort of you, – you know Kirk's eventually going to rise to the top. Right. But will it be this year enough for fantasy purposes? I'm not so sure. You know, to okay. me, the guy is like a final-round pick. All right, maybe he's more of a stash in dynasty leagues. That we talked a little bit about the wide receivers, but you dynasty know, leagues I like him a lot better. I would say you he's go. a stash. There uh, you go. I think he's more of a stash in a yearly league and a nice okay. dynasty target. But we like him in dynasty, especially with Fitzgerald likely moving on maybe after th- as soon as after this year. We are doing it and doing it and doing it well here on Roto Experts in the Morning. Dane Martinez, the King, Scott Angle, and the all-in kid, Jake Seeley, on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We are joined right now, and I am excited to talk to this man. It is Nick Hostetler. He is the director of scouting for the Chicago White Sox. We got a lot of questions for him because, I mean, the White Sox got a lot of kids coming up. He's also scouting, you know, the opponents in the AL Central. So we're going to get into it with him right now on Roto experts in the morning hey nick how you doing bright and early this morning doing great guys how you guys doing doing all right doing all right hey listen i mentioned you know there are so many kind of young kids on the chicago white Sox. they're clearly in that phase where they're letting kids play and letting them develop and one guy that i want to ask you about quite frankly nick because i have him on a number of my fantasy teams is tim anderson Okay, this is a guy that is, you know, 24 years old. I love the fact that he's, you know, stealing 10 bases. I'm getting good stuff out of that. But my question is, when I look into the stats, right, I see that from last year to this year, he's dropped his strikeout rate by like 4%. He's upped his walk rate by like 4%, right? So as the, as the director of scouting, how do you – can you, uh, you know – see that these things are going to happen? What do you look for to see that maybe over time guys like Anderson or others will be a little bit more disciplined at the plate? What are some of the things you look for in a young kid in terms of plate discipline? Yeah, I think that, you know, the first thing you got to start with is, is looking at just their, their background, um, how much baseball they've played, how, um, you know, kids are just different. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the things with with scouting that makes it a little bit unique is the fact that you're, you're evaluating um, each individual person for that person. So while, yeah, there are, we use a ton of analytics and there's a ton of things that we use that um, are hopefully somewhat of precursors that help, can help us predict the future. Um, and, and situations like Tim Anderson's, it's a little bit different. Um, when we drafted Tim, he was a basketball player. He had played mm. one and a half years of baseball. Um, and, and so it was still a process. He was still very green to the game. Um, as, as he went through the minors, his strikeout rate was extremely high, did not walk at all. 
but showed us um, showed us the the electric ability with the bat, the bat speed. So that was exciting. But then as last year went, and and I think this is where the human emotion part of the game comes into it. Um, his best friend was killed. He dealt with that all season, um, and it was just an emotional strain on him. And I think that it really and he'll he'll admit it. It took an extreme toll on him, um, not only on not only on the field but also off the field. And I think this year you're seeing a kid with a clear mind. Um, a little bit more mature, a little bit better understanding of the league, and and I think that he's now starting to to show the player round into the player that we kind of expected him to be. Good morning, Nick. Uh, always good to talk to you, my friend. And uh, you know, you know, my favorite White Sox, of course, is Adam Engel, and uh, you know, one day <laughs> up to, uh, on one of his jerseys. And uh, another guy, though, that you had there in the outfield, though, that's been starting at second base recently and actually picked up on one of my teams this year. Lurie Garcia really showed a lot of spark last year when he was forced into the lineup. Is this a guy that's going to be able to play more regularly? Will we see him more in the infield uh, where we can get increased fantasy eligibility? And What can he contribute? Should other fantasy players be looking to pick him up? Yeah, I think Lurie's a guy that – He's kind of that Swiss Army knife. He can play a little bit of everywhere. And with Moncada going down uh, with the minor injury, it kind of give, uh, gave Lurie a chance to, to get in the lineup. And, and with Javi Garcia battling some, some little nagging stuff here or there, um, those, those are the types of situations that Lurie is going to need to get in there on an everyday basis. And, you know, I think that he, he's, got, he's a manager's dream um, from the sense that um, you can stick him anywhere on the field. When we moved uh, Tyler Saladino to the Brewers, that kind of opened up that spot for Lori to kind of bounce around and get get at bats and get to, um, get some innings uh, both in the infield and the outfield. So yeah, I'm going to guess you're probably going to get a little bit of uh, him in the outfield as well as in the infield. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure the full rules of the dual eligibility on the positions, but I'm sure it's uh, he's going to get close to that. Okay, kind of like a two part question for you here. First one is: Ronaldo Lopez ever going to get a win? <laughs> I hope so. The poor kid can't catch a break. He's like Jose Quintana was for us the last few years. It's like the guy goes out and he throws up zeros and bagels, and they, uh, is, uh, you know something happens where either uh, the bullpen lets him down or or we don't score enough runs. But man, he's he's got some kind of electric stuff. <laughs> yep, and this is kind of frustrating. So, all right, in that it fashion <laughs> with electric stuff and pitchers. So, Michael, is it Kopech or is it Kopech? Or because I've seen so many different pronunciations, I, I want to get the clear one for first. It's Kopech. Okay, so Kopech. What are the chances we yep. see him before the All-Star break this year? You know, that's a great question, and, and I think that's the million-dollar question between him and Aloy Jimenez for us. So they're the two hot names. So, um, you know, with Michael, the big thing for him is is one that's obvious by looking at our record that, um, you know, the, we, we have the ability to take time and, and take it slow with some of these kids. So, um, in Michael's situation, we really need him to master that third pitch and that third pitch being the changeup. Um, he's thrown it more. He's done a nice job at the AAA level, but I think you even saw the last start he had down there. He was uh, he was a little bit wild. He gets out of sorts um, and out of sync in his delivery at times as well. So um, it's going to be a, a little while for Michael to kind of refine those, those tools. Um, to put an exact date on it would be tough to do just because um, we kind of let – you know, I, I know this sounds a little cliche, but it's true. We kind of let the player tell us when they're ready. And uh, when he shows that ability to constantly throw that third pitch for a strike um, and use that as a, as a as a solid weapon in his arsenal, um, I think then we'll, we'll be able to see him. But 
he still needs to uh, show us that ability first before he's ready to, to pitch in Chicago. All right, we're talking with Nick Hostetler here on Roto Experts in the Morning on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. He is the director of scouting for the Chicago White Sox. Nick, I want to ask you kind of a, a general question. You know, we're zoning in on some players here. You mentioned before you guys use a ton of analytics. There is no shortage of stats, you know, and, and people are really using these analytics more and more in baseball. My question, though, is, you know, all the data in the world doesn't really mean anything unless you can kind of – tell a story about it and make meaning out of it. My question is, how do you make meaning out of it for the players? How do you get the players who may not be as data literate as the director of scouting or people in the front office to really understand their own stats, their own data, and what it really means in terms of their practice, their performance, and how they can adjust to be a more effective player? How do you, how do you, you know, invest players in data? How do you communicate with players around these statistics and data to get them really invested in what they need to do? That's a great question. I think that uh, as uh, here in the last few years, you've seen that there's been different different clubs and organizations that uh, use it more heavily than others. There's others that are trying to play catch up. And, um, you know, and I think one of the things that we've found that you've almost got to let the player tell you what they want. Um, you can sit there and pound it in their head all they want. Some guys are just going to turn it off. Some guys are feel guys. They, they, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to look at any sort of exit velocities, launch angles, uh, anything like that. They want to strictly just go out and, and swing the bat and do it from a feel standpoint. Um, pitchers, they don't. Some of them don't want to know, you know, what their spin rates are or what their, uh, you know, what their velocities. Even some of them don't. Um, you kind of let them tell you what they want. Uh, you want to make sure you have all the information for them. Um, we have uh, an analytics staff that breaks all that down, gets all the numbers to our coaches our bench coach joe McEwing, and those guys that, that will have that information for our players um but you kind of just have to sit there and wait for them to tell you what they want because if you start shoving stuff down a player's throat uh when they're trying to play 162 games in front of uh 30 or 40,000 a night uh, they're they're going to turn you off so you just gotta you kind of got to be there and make sure that you have everything that they need and, and wait for them to come to you with that Nick, you get to see a lot of the AL Central, so we're going to ask you about some players in the division, too. Jamer Candelario, the rookie, is off to a terrific start for the Tigers. Uh, you know, is this a guy that we're looking at maybe can hit 280 with 25-plus homers, or is he going to cool him off, and are they going to figure him out, and is he in for a long, cold stretch? Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, he's obviously had a great start. and um, I think with all these, these young kids, and I think our division – has a decent amount of them with the Tigers kind of the Tigers, us, the Royals all kind of sitting in the same spot as far as where our organizations are. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, Candelaria is one of them that just has a huge upside and ceiling. And, um, you know, I, I it's, it's, these kids are coming up at you know, such a young age, uh, ready to just pounce and perform. I mean, even look at guys like Beavers last year at the Red Sox and stuff like that. I mean, they just, they're just ready and, uh, they come up and perform like he has and, you know, unfortunately for us, being that we got to play him a lot, I, I kind of got a sense that this kid's going to be pretty – he's here to stay. So I think we're going to see a lot more of this. So if we're going to talk about the rest of the division, Nick, I got a question for you too because I just put an article <laughs> out and I said the Twins, Eduardo Escobar, and Eddie Rosario get no respect for how good they are. Is is this something they that just good. it's hey, it's the AL Central and nobody's really paying attention to what these two guys are doing for the Twins? Uh, Escobar's a guy we had and we loved. What a terrific kid he is! And um, you know, I, I yeah, these kids, these guys are good players, man. 
Um, you know, and obviously our division, I think we're, we're, the Indians are the only team at 500. I think they just got there last night, maybe, or mm-hmm. um, I'm not even sure. Uh, but, you know, so obviously our division has not performed up to what uh, I think some has expected us to, um, you know, with Cleveland and, and uh, Minnesota. But I think, uh, you know, Escobar and Rosario and those guys, I mean, they show that they've got supreme talent and, and talent up the middle, guys that are, are premium athletes that – um, just go out and give it every day like those two guys do. Man, they're they're really nice to have on your club. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that the Indians. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They did get to 500 in that division, but no one's running away with the AL Central right now. Nick, if the White Sox are going to make a run, you know they're going to need a little bit more out of Lucas Giolito. This is a guy with a 7.25 ERA. His WHIP is over 1.6. Are you noticing anything? What are you seeing in him? Um, what might he be able to do to kind of turn it around after a poor start to the season? Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you sit here and, and I've dealt with this with a few of our minor league guys um, that had a slow starts. And, you know, you, you you start to panic a little bit. You start to, you know, you try to look and see, you know, what's wrong, what's going on, what's the issue. And, you know, sometimes I, I know this sounds really simple, but sometimes it's just patience. Um and with a young kid like Lucas, you just have to be patient at times. And, you know, I think he came up last year, had a terrific end of the season. Uh, we were extremely excited where he was from a not only a, a performance standpoint, but from a stuff standpoint, from a mentality standpoint. He got it. Um, he understood it. Uh, the progress he made was terrific. And, you know, I think this year kind of hit a little bit of growing pain. Um, it, it also doesn't help when your team's not winning. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to fight through for a young kid to understand you know, what it takes to go out there every fifth day, compete, battle, um, try to fight your way through some, some of these hiccups and growing pains. Mechanic-wise, you know, we, we haven't really noticed anything too crazy different with Lucas. Don Cooper, our pitching coach, and Kurt Hassler, our bullpen coach, has looked at some things and some minor adjustments. But I think mainly we just kind of attribute it to, you know, you know young and, and some growing pains. Uh, you know, kind of letting get through the process, get his feet wet up here, understand uh you know what it takes to pitch in the big leagues for over a course of a season over the course of a career and he'll figure it out um he's a smart kid very analytical kid very bright um and sometimes sometimes kids like that it takes them a little minute because they, they want to overthink things rather than just kind of pitch so i think he'll figure it out and um you know the talent's still there the stuff's still there it's just a matter of him uh, kind of calming down and just going through and trusting the stuff Nick, another player in the division who's playing really well is Jorge Soler. Uh, the advanced statistics point to some regression, but how much should we see? He's hitting three twenty one now with a four thirty one uh, base percentage, uh, you know, an outrageous four oh three BABIP and a, a two twenty three ISO. Uh, you know, what's the real Jorge Soler? Well, you just gave me a whole lot of letters there, King. I had to throw <laughs> Babbitt's and ISOs and stuff. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know what? That that young man has been a supreme talent since the Cubs signed him. Um, I actually had a chance to see him play. He was at our complex when he was a free agent uh, before the Cubs signed him. So, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that just had ceiling, you know, through the roof uh, when he was signed um, it, it, right out of Cuba. I mean, this kid is this kid was premium premium talent so those guys can take a little bit longer i've said it a few times with the latin players just dealing with the culture change dealing with different types of games the way the games play a little bit differently over here um sometimes they just take a little bit longer and i think he's the prime example of that and 
really some guys just need to change the scenery. Um, you know, and when he went over to Kansas City, um, it, it was a good fit for him. So I think you're really starting to see some of the some of the tools and some of the electric ability that that young man has. And um, again, <laughs> not exactly pleased he's in our division for the next uh, for, for the foreseeable future. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can figure ways to kid him out. But he he looks pretty solid right now. <laughs> All right, well, similar – that's actually kind of where I was headed with this, Nick, and we'll get you out of here on this, is with this change of scenery, and you see – you mentioned that you had Escobar and stuff like that. So what what is it in the scouting where sometimes these guys aren't hitting for a team and then all of a sudden you see it working for somebody else? Like, I know it's the cliche, it's change of scenery, but it may be an insight of like, yeah. what is it more that it never worked for one team but all of a sudden it does for somebody else somewhere else? Yeah. You know, it could be something similar or as simple as just a different voice, um, a different method. Um, Sometimes kids are and people, I mean, especially kids that are 18 to 21 years old, they're just wired differently than, than, than adults. They see things differently. They process things in a different way. And sometimes when they go into an organization or situation, those voices of those coaches after a while, over and over, over telling them the same thing, sometimes can just get old and, you know, these kids, so at times they just need a different voice. And, and that's why you'll see sometimes uh, some of your higher prospects, they might not be playing great and they're, they move them to a different level just to get them a different voice and a different, different place to see the ball and hit um, or pitch. So those are the types of things that you just have to do. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it takes uh, a move to a different organization. Uh, obviously, in an organization, if it doesn't work and that kid goes somewhere else and he, and he succeeds, you, you have to look at your process and see where did you let this kid down. So um, it's part of the process, part of what we do. But, yeah, it's uh, sometimes as cliche as it sounds, sometimes that's what it takes to get a guy jump started. Thanks for sharing that, Nick. Nick Hostetler here with us on Roto Experts in the Morning, the director of scouting for the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, Scott sometimes gets stale. That's why he needs a new voice, and that's why I'm here on Roto Experts. <laughs> thanks, for spending, wow. thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us, Nick, uh, this morning. We'd love to have thanks, you back, Nick. all right? Absolutely, guys. Anytime, anytime. We have the privilege of being joined by Jerry Beach. He covers the Mets for the Sporks Exchange. Uh, Jerry, how you doing this fine Friday morning? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Listen, Jerry, we got a lot of stuff to talk about with the Mets. The Mets uh, have been in the news for a lot of different reasons over the last couple of weeks. The Not the least is, obviously, they go ahead and trade the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey, over to Cincinnati while the team is playing in Cincinnati, and they get Devin Masarocco back. Yesterday on the show, we were kind of talking about, like, this might have been a good haul for the Mets, given the fact that everyone knew that they had to do something with Harvey and they really didn't have as much leverage in this situation, they get Mesoraco back who can actually help the catcher position. What do you think about the trade uh, the trade the Mets just made this week? Yeah, I mean, you know, five years ago, who would have thought that getting a live body from Matt Harvey would be considered a good trade for the Mets, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, and when they uh, – when they DFA'd him, I thought, you know, it'll be seven days and, and, and he'll be a free agent. Uh, who's going to trade for a guy with, you know, three arm injuries in the last five years and all sorts of off-field issues? But, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of teams, not enough pitching. And uh, I, I would have I guessed Cincinnati because, you know, that ballpark, uh, his last few outings with the Mets, he was throwing BP in pitchers parks, Petco and, and City Field. Uh, I, I thought maybe a Seattle or a San Fran might take a flyer on him, you know, uh, if not in trade, then, then like I said, as a 
free agent in, uh, by this weekend. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good trade for them. It's a good trade for both teams. I mean, obviously, Masaraco had kind of been passed in the pecking order by Barnhart, and he's going to be free agent at the end of the year. And the Reds are obviously rebuilding, undergoing a massive rebuild. Uh, it's a good trade for both teams, and, and you know, do we, you know, we won't know for a few weeks if Masaraco can handle playing regularly. But what do the Mets have to lose? I mean, it wasn't going to work without Harvey in New York, that's for sure. And they got a guy, you know, who had a fantastic year a few years ago. Had people thinking they might have found their, their new Johnny Bench type uh, in Cincinnati. So, you know, it's a good trip for both teams. I think since for Cincinnati, they're probably thinking, you know, if Harvey has finds something in the next two months, they maybe can flip up the deadline to somebody else who's, you know, who's contending, get some back for him. But uh, I'm curious to see, you know, I guess the next few weeks until Pawecki gets back, what Mets Rocco can do for the Mets if he can uh, stay healthy back there. And he looked good on on, uh, was on Wednesday. You know, Wheeler allowed one run in six innings and got out of a base-loaded jam, and they only allowed, only allowed two runs overall. So curious to see how curious to see how it works out for both teams. I guess Harvey goes tonight, right, for, for Cincy in L.A. So, uh, yep. yep, he's we'll, getting we'll, the start we'll tonight. We'll see if the change of scenery uh, doesn't have any good. We'll, we'll find out pretty quickly, I'm sure. Jerry, uh, a lot of fantasy players and Met fans, both alike, are hoping that Brandon Nemo gets to play regularly in the outfield. They move Jay Bruce to first base and kick Adrian Gonzalez out of the mix. Now, uh, both of us are in the clubhouse, and we know what's going on. And, you know, me talking to the players, too, I get the sense that Adrian Gonzalez isn't going anywhere because, A, he plays the best first base defense of anybody on the team. B, they brought him in to be a steady clubhouse presence. And C, they believe that he can still hit. So as much as fantasy players and Met fans want to see Nemo in the lineup and Bruce at first, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the Mets, you know, they, they've skidded a little bit, but but they're still right, you know, they're still in the mix. And Gonzalez, you know, he's definitely not what he was five, six, seven, eight years ago. But, you know, he had that two-homer day against uh, Cincinnati on, on Monday. And he had, he had a two-homer day against San Diego. Uh, you know, he's still got a little spark in the bat. Um, and, and I just, I don't see them making a move like that. You know, you know, while their team is still doing decently, I mean, they're not. You know, last couple weeks have been great, but overall body of work, they're still right in the mix there. Um, and you know, I'm not sure Nemo's. I'm not sure Nemo's an everyday player. Uh, you know, he's a lot better than I thought he was. A couple of years ago, I thought he was stretched as a fifth outfielder, and now he's playing terrific defense and center, uh, showing off a gun once in a while when uh, opposing base uh, base runners try to take an extra base on him, and he can work it out that you know, uh, really, really well. Really, really good play patience for a kid that young. Um, you know, and it goes back to I always thought the Jay Bruce sign was a little uh, extraneous for the Mets because they they had a lot of outfielders. And I know I think they probably thought that Conforto would be bang, uh, would be back as soon as as he as he was. But you know, the whole Jay Bruce, I, you know, and Jay had never really played for space prior this year, so it was always kind of like a little bit of square peg round round hole thing. Um, with you know, just think, oh, we can stick Bruce at first base, you know, if if we need to. Oh, okay, <laughs> and, you, know, he, you know, he'll do it, but he's not all that enthusiastic about it. I don't blame him. He's you know, he's really rarely played there in his career. Um, so you know, I, I think right now, you know, I like I like Nimmo as a fourth outfielder. I know fans are eager to see more of him, and 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 he's and he's and he's done well, and and certainly he's earned some more playing time. But look, in, in between Gonzalez being thirty six, not being the player he once was, uh, Cespedes. His leg issues are starting to crop up again. 
Uh, can Fordham scuff win? Uh, these are the Mets. There's always something going to happen. <laughs> There's always going to be some playing time. Uh, you know, you know whenever with, the, with the Mets, whenever you worry about having too much, something happens. We look how so they're pitching. We see with the position players. So I think, you know, even if Bruce doesn't go to first base full time or, or Gonzalez doesn't, uh, you know, get cut anytime soon, I still think it'll be plenty of, time, plenty of opportunity to see Nimmo uh, playing, you know, f- three, four, five days a week for the Mets. And fans definitely want to see more from the youngsters as well, and that goes right down to Ahmed Rosario. So the question here with him is not so much the fact that he's scuffling, and that has to be frustrating for Mets fans when you're looking across at the Atlanta Braves youngsters every single day they're popping somebody up. The Phillies have their guys. But here's my question for Rosario. It's not the fact, because we know he's very aggressive at the plate, and that's what's carrying over so far. It's why is he not stealing any bases? Is that is it carrying in his mind while he's on the base pass? Because the guy's got plenty of speed, and yet he finally just got his first stolen base in the last game. Yeah, they were talking, you know, as you guys know, they were talking all spring, and he's going to run more, we're going to run more with him, and it took, you know, six weeks for him to steal a base. Um, I think it's probably, it's probably like you said a little bit, you know, he's not getting on base a ton. Uh, you know, I don't love the whole bat ninth thing for him, just because I think, you know, uh, you bat ninth, my, my, in my opinion, it, it may, might, might make the guy a little more reluctant to run with with the leadoff guy coming up next, as opposed to the pitcher bat ninth, and it feels like a free out. You know, the pitcher, the pitcher bat ninth, you, it may, may be be a little more aggressive running, as opposed to uh, you know the top of the order and your best hitters, uh, Nimmo, Cabrera, etc., coming up. Uh, he's also a very young kid. Uh, he had a couple months, couple months of experience down the stretch last season. Um, so you know, I, I think you know he needs he needs you know he needs a good week. If he has a good week and gets on base a little bit. And, Maybe steals a bag or two, you know. It, it, maybe he'll hit a little bit of a, you know, he'll, he'll get a little bit of a groove and start running more. Uh, they made an interesting point on the broadcast on uh, Wednesday. You know, a couple of years ago, the Mets really loved Juan Lagares as a potential base stealer. And there was one September they're out of the, out, of the, out of the race, and they said just run. You stole like nine or ten bases in September, and hasn't really done anything like that since. Obviously, it's May. You can't be telling the guys to run like crazy. You know, the games don't matter, uh, but. Yeah, I, I think I think he just needs you know he needs like he needs a little hitting streak. Needs needs a handful of games in a row. Needs to steal a couple bases, get his legs under him a little bit. Um, but you know if I bought if I bought low on him or you know invested in him uh, preseason, I'm not so sure I'd be you know expecting 20 steals now. I mean you know, if you get 10 out of this point, when the guy's stolen a base in, in six weeks, you still have a pretty good year. Um, but you know I, you know got plenty of upside. And like you said, it's got to be frustrating when you see Albies and Torres and all these guys for the rivals, the, the Braves and the Yankees, hitting them, you know, getting the majors and you know, hit, hit, hitting like stars and running like stars right away. But uh, and I think, you know, Rosario, Rosario can't run any less than he has. So I think, you know, next few weeks, I think we'll start a little bit more. And I see a guy like that gets hot. I like that has a good week. I, I, you know, I think, I think those skills we expected to see will start to shine. Thanks for talking with Jerry Beach here on Roto Experts in the Morning. He covers the Mets for the Sports Exchange. Jerry, one guy I want to ask you about, you know, you touched on him a little bit before, is Michael Conforto. I mean, quite frankly, Jerry, is is Conforto healthy? You know, that's what I want to know because since he's come back, you know, he's hitting just 136 over his last seven days. There's high expectations, obviously, for a guy like Conforto. You know, with DeGrom, they said they put him on the DL to be, quote-unquote, overly cautious. Should they have been more cautious in bringing Conforto back? Do you think he's 100% with that shoulder? I think he's probably close to 100%. I just – I think they probably need another – what's he at? Is that 100 at-bats now, just under, just over? 
I think mm-hmm. they need a, you know probably need probably need another hundred because uh, he didn't have much of a spring training uh, and you know he didn't have any winter. Uh, they probably brought him back too soon, but you know he was such an exciting electric player last year. You, you can't you can blame him. Well, much of stuff they should have done it, but you can't blame him in the in the moment for being excited that they got this guy back. They're only all star last year. Guy who could lead off, hit the middle of the order, play center field, play a corner spot. Guy, guy could, yeah, guy, guy showed he could do just about everything last year. Um, I think, I think he's healthy. I don't, I don't doubt that he's healthy. It's just you worry it was a shoulder injury. You, 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 you wish, you know, it was a knee injury. You know he'd come back pretty strong. Foot injuries like that, shoulder. Huh, you know, that, that, that's, 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 that's the big one. So you worry that, you know, you need. I think you need another hundred at bats, and if, and if he's Hitting like this, 100 at bats. You wonder, oh, geez, is this is this the new Conforto? Did he was some power sapped? Uh, did he did he uh, uh, change his swing? Something like that. Uh, and the thing with Conforto that, that's kind of put the Mets in a bind is Vegas won't do a thing for him. He'll go out there and hit 600, and he's done that before. Not 600, but, you know, he'll hit a ton. And that's you know, I don't think it's a confidence issue. I think it's you know, I think it's reps. I think he needs I think he needs some time, and send, you know, sending him to the minors. You know, his confidence is fine. You know, hitting a ton at Vegas isn't going to do anything for him. It's not going to determine what kind of player he is now. So, you know, let, let's see where he is in six weeks, middle of June, end of June. Um, you know, if he's starting to spark, you know, come up a little bit, it could just be a matter of the guy needed his spring training, the guy needs some reps, the guy needed to check the rust off. But, you know, I know, you know, I think they got to be at least a little bit worried, a little concerned that. What if he's not going to be the, quite the same player he was last year when he was like, you know, like an electric 25 homer guy, could hit for average, um, you know, uh, that was a serious injury he suffered. You know, uh, it was hard to watch. Uh, uh, you don't see they don't see something like that happen too often. So I'd say g- g- give him a few more weeks. I'd, I'd still err on the side of he's going to be okay. It's just you know it was a weird injury, a weird off season, no spring training. But, you know, I'd certainly understand if people are concerned that you know, what if this is the new Michael Conforto and he's a pretty good player but not the, not, not the power-hitting, you know, all-around uh, all-star he was last year. Uh, what about Zach Wheeler? You know, you noted about the good start against Cincinnati. Since he's come <clears throat> back, uh, he's been sort of inconsistent. You know, even some rumblings in the preseason about him being in the bullpen. Obviously, they've needed him in the rotation. Mm-hmm. What do you think we can expect from Wheeler the rest of the way? I don't know, he, he might be that guy, you know, we all talked uh, before the season, you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard are sure things. They need a third guy. You know, if you get 60% rotation winning your games, you're in pretty good shape. Who is that guy? Is it Harvey? Is it Matt? Is it Wheeler? Well, it's not Harvey. Uh, Matt's, you know, he looked a little better last time out. But I think uh, it's hard, you know, he's had so many arm injuries, it's hard to know if he's going to be what we thought he was going to be three or four years ago. Wheeler has been has impressed in the last couple of weeks. Um uh, the start before last, you know, uh, at home, uh, I think it was the Braves, right? He just got, you know, lit, torched yeah. in the first inning. They pitched it into the seventh. And this is a guy. He's got a little bit of moxie about him. Uh, you know, he's been through. He's been through the ringer with the arm injuries, and and he's tough. You know, he's he's there's there's, you know, when a guy, you know, when a guy doesn't have the first inning, pitches into the seventh, and and the, and the manager feels confident enough in him to keep him out there to try to get a couple outs in the seventh inning. That, that says a lot for the guy. I think the Mets think highly of him. Uh, Wednesday was impressive. You know, first thing, it wasn't great again, but he got out of it. Two, two runners on and, uh, and stranded him as opposed to allowed four or five runs, which he's done the night before. And then, like we talked about the sixth inning, you know, bases loaded, one out, tie game, and he gets out of it. Um, 
and his stuff is still sharp. You know, I saw his throw 97 on, on Wednesday, you know, after the Tommy John surgery and, and the shoulder injury he had last year. Um, so, you know, he's, he's not only ever going to be an efficient, you know, Corey Kluber type who gets you seven innings and 100 pitches every time out, but if you get your six innings, you know, keep your team in the game and kind of set the tone with, with the greediness and the greediness and the grinding it out and, you know, being able to get out of trouble and, and, um, and, you know, and, and spare the bullpen and kind of set a tone. I think, I think he's that guy now for them. I think, like I said, we know if they're healthy, they're going to, they're going to be really good, borderline great. If, if we look at that third guy, and then all of a sudden, if you just get, you know, every, every other timeout for uh, Matt and Vargas, oh, all right, then, then, he got a, then he got a pretty good base there for a contending team. So I'm curious yeah. to see how Wheeler does next week at the next home stand. But I was really impressed with him on uh, on Wednesday afternoon and then the night before that. So he's uh, I think I think he's turned a pay, turned a corner, you know, after missing was it two two years basically in his development. So we should see him the rest of the way. We'll see if Wheeler does continue that development. We'll see if Matt's back bounces back as well. Jerry, I don't know if you noticed, but you know me, Scott, and Jake, we stayed in the correct order. While we were uh, asking you questions, we didn't ask any questions out of order. Let me get you out of here on this real quick, Jerry. Uh, where can everyone who's listening to Roto Experts in the morning right now, where can we find your work real quickly? How can we find you on uh, social media? Uh, best spot is uh, Twitter, JerryBeat73. Um, and, and I'll post in my stories there. And, and uh, like Scott, Scotty was saying, I try to do a, you know, nine tweets every night, kind of cap of the night, the day of the night in Mets baseball. Uh, it's always something. Oh, something interesting there with the Mets. Like you said, the bad out order thing. And you thought you'd see it all, and then they do study you haven't seen it. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, if you're in the Mets or in the, in the baseball, and the teams of the Mets are playing the Mets next coming week, uh, upcoming weeks, uh, yep. at Jerry Beach 73 is the best place to get me. All right. Thanks a lot, Jerry, for spending a couple of minutes with us here on Roto Experts in the morning. You know, there's never a shortage of stuff to talk about with the Mets. Maybe we'll have you nope. back on Over. sometime to chop it up, all right? I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jerry. guys. Have a great day. All right. Yep. Sounds Thanks. good. Fantasy executive, I have a question for What's you up, if you're with me. Speeds? What's going Yo, on? I have a question for you. I was down there in the fantasy pit of misery yesterday, uh-huh, and I see that Carton I see that Carton and Friends has some gear now, huh? Yeah, you guys got shirts. Yeah, no, it's, it's some shirts. They that's in under secure watch inside the full four in the fantasy pit of middle. Yeah. yeah, the signature Corey Parsons shirt, feel what I'm saying, and they suit a Deke shirt from the, yeah. the call from the Otani home run. So Can you are, tell me a little for, bit? Those are for sales spitting speeds. <clears throat> oh, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Can you, oh, so I shouldn't have just grabbed some when I was there. No, you shouldn't night? have just grabbed some. As a matter of fact, right. we'll, you'll be no getting problem. a bill for that. I got you. I got you. You can put it on my tab. You can you put it to grab Mike one. You can hand Corey a twenty. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. You can bill it to Mike Cardano. Yeah. It's all good. But well, tell me a little bit about this. Whatever it is, I don't want to say the wrong thing. What seat aduk or whatever it is. Suta Talk to me about this. Suta Talk to me about this. Suta from Otani's Suta. home run, the Japanese uh, call. And the, and the yeah. call, apparently Sute Dik means it's far, it's gone, whatever the case may be. In it Japanese. is high, it is far, it is gone. Yes, and he goes, Sute Dik. Then his uh, analyst goes, Sute Dik. And, then and he decided to make shirts of it because we're cool like that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, to, to the earlier story, I feel what you're saying, whatever it is. Now, this, this Sute Dik, and, and can we contrast this against the John Sterling call for Giancarlo Stanton's home run, which was in Italian? We got Italian home run calls. We got Japanese home run calls. Uh, what's going on? Is this? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Here we go. <laughs> wow. Scott, uh, Scott, did you know about this? Are you, uh, are you yeah, multilingual I, like this? Are you multilingual? I, 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 listen, I listen to the show, and, you know, it, it really become a catchphrase on Carton and Friends. And, Corey, you guys were talking also about uh, – a Japanese LeBron call the other day, too, which was very amusing. Yes, buzzer beater is uh, universal. Well, at least it is in English and Japanese. Buzzer beater is the same. Buzzer beater. It, yeah, but it was like it was like the lingo Sucka leading dip. up to buzzer beater. It was like, <laughs> I, it was like yeah, yeah, buzzer beater. Uh, yeah, buzzer beater. So we should have yeah, some exactly. more good calls today. Uh, I'm trying to see if we can locate these some of these Dylan Bundy home run calls. Uh, he gave up four before any out was recorded. Yeah. Um, he got the snot knocked He's out. He's the only him. player in Major yeah. League history to ever do that, Corey. I figured, Scott, now have you done that? In your, and when you used to pitch at our LIU Brooklyn, I figured you would be the type of pitcher um, with, with command issues and also that you would give up a ton of home runs and not record it out. Was that how your college pitching career went, Scott? Yeah, that's what I usually did on the PS4. No, oh, on the PS4, okay. Pissed piss me off, you know. I'd hit him in the head. Scott, you hey, know, I've seen you in the batting cage, Scott. You can't play. Oh, I would love uh, to. Yo, can we take a Roto Experts in the morning trip to the batting cages, yeah. guys? Yeah. I played, Corey, I played college baseball. Corey, Corey I played college picture. baseball, Corey. Corey, Corey saw a picture. Corey gets winded walking to the pizza counter. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Hey, Corey, let me get you to take on one more thing. As What's you up? heard yesterday, Mark Ingram got popped for four games, yeah. right? And I think that's very interesting. What do you think this does for the value of Alvin Kamara? That's something we've been talking about. I have him just outside of kind of like the elite top five that I have at least. Where does he, where does he, uh, does he move up for you? And if so, how much? He's already real high. I don't think he moves up right. anymore. I'm not going to put him ahead of Kareem Hunt at this point. Maybe you can put him ahead of Kareem Hunt, but I definitely think he's inside that top five. He'll be a middle of the first round guy in fantasy uh, drafts, you know, coming up when we get to August. You know what he can do, uh, all-purpose yardage. Running the football, carrying the football, catching the ball out the backfield. He's one of the NFL players of the future type with Alvin Kamara. So hey, if I if I got a couple shares this year, I'll be cool with that. But I'm not going to put him in the Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell conversation. Oh, I like how you yeah, let so him that, Ezekiel that Elliott. Knocks him, knocks him down more to like seven or eight, really. All right, that is interesting. I love how you yeah. put Ezekiel Elliott right uh, there. How was top. Ezekiel Elliott in that the... conversation? Uh, uh, of course he's in the conversation. No, I said Kamara. I said Kamara, not Elliott. I mean, he played, what, he played 10 games last year, had almost over 1,000 yards rushing? Corey, not Zeke saying is Zeke, my I said RB2. Kamara. Zeke is your RB2. He is my RB2. I go Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, no Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, and then you could convince me of either David Johnson or Saquon Barkley as my 4-5 if you want Ooh, to know. Saquon that high, that's interesting. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. I re- especially would in you the PPR. Try, so I, you're telling me in the PPR in the first round you would take yep. Saquon Barkley over Odell Beckham? I'm talking about my running backs, okay. man. I'm talking uh, about my running backs. Yeah. I, you know, when you when you go overall, yeah, there's ODB, there's Antonio Brown. I personally love what my man D-Hop, the D-Hopopotamus, DeAndre Hopkins, can do this year as well with a healthy Deshaun Watson. But we will clearly get into all of that. We have a few months uh, cool. getting into that. Hey, Scott, what else are you going to be? Scott, oh, go Scott, you going to the game tomorrow night, right, Scott? Ooh. Uh, yeah, looking that way, yes. All right, good. Well, don't, don't do nothing to embarrass by us, okay? Right. Yeah, I won't. I won't. I won't wear one of your shirts. No, <laughs> no, you should wear one of my shirts, Scott. That would. Make, I don't want to embarrass make, anybody, good, but I'll tell you, man. Cool in front of Stanton, the players. Stanton is Stanton is killing lefties. You know, three seventy uh, already, and his third multi home run game of the year. It was really good to see Corey because, like I was talking about. 
the reason why they broke everything up in Miami is because that team never even sniffed the playoffs with all the money those guys were making. Stanton finally got to play in a big game in Yankee Stadium in his career, and he showed up. Yeah, no doubt he did show up with the two big home runs last night. So, glorious night in the boogie down Bronx. Expect two more coming up. What's the deal with you all in, kid? Jay Steely, I know you got to love how great my Yankees are playing. Yeah, sure. Best to talk to you here for a second. <laughs> Jake, you know I was going to get you in there, Jake. Come on now. I got your back if nobody does. That's not your job. This isn't your show. You're a guest. You're right. I am. Oh, my job. Go ahead. Talk, Jake. Bring us on home, Jake. Bring us on home. Weekdays, 7 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers.